Luke chapter 10, verse 36 to 37. Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Which one of these was a neighbor? This was a question that Jesus posed uh, uh, that baffled those who were listening to him at the time. A, a philosophical and practical examination of one of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever told. The Good Samaritan. You ever heard that phrase before? The Good Samaritan. Well, that's a parable that Jesus told. And the lesson was found in the man who showed mercy. The verses that I read are at the tail end of that scripture that we're going to be using today. So as we continue this week in our series about the way of Jesus, kicking off this year where we are going to read through the New Testament and do our best to understand and live out the New Testament, uh, we are going to have a lesson in the way of mercy. Maybe you've heard of grace before. Grace is, is a, a very important word, very similar to mercy, we've heard of amazing grace, and, and uh, uh, grace is a little bit different, but grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. Grace has often been described as a gift. I don't deserve it, but it's given to me. That's grace, which is awesome. Grace is the mechanism by which we gain our salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. Grace, grace makes that possible. Mercy is similar, but it's a little bit different. Mercy is when uh, you do not get something you do deserve. All right? Grace is when you get something you don't deserve, like a gift. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. Like, I may deserve punishment, but I'm shown mercy or forgiveness. Very similar concepts, but they are different. And mercy is something that we, as we watch Jesus live his life, that's his way. He walked the way of mercy, the way of Jesus. And, and for us, if we're going to try to be like him, we need to practice that, to show mercy to others. And we've got to wrestle with what that looks like. Mercy is sometimes harder for us than giving grace because we kind of like it when people get what they deserve. Uh, you know, we are a culture, I mean, most of humanity that, that loves it when justice is, is given out, and maybe even revenge at times. Like when we watch movies, we expect, right, the bad guy is going to get what they deserve. That we want, that we love that the house fell on the wicked witch, right? And we, we love that. We, we like it when the, uh, the Death Star explodes and, and right wins. We watch the movie Rocky, and every time Rocky fights, we want the bad guy to lose. Like, we don't want the evil Drago to, to win in Rocky IV, right? Like, no way. We, we would never change the endings to those movies. We don't want to get to the end of The Wizard of Oz, and you know what? Let's show, let's show the witch some mercy. Right? We don't want to, to get to the end of Star Wars and be like, you know what, Darth Vader, evil emperor, um, we're going we're gonna to end this movie with forgiveness. And we're, we're all going to be disappointed with that. We, Rocky's going to be like, all right, let's call it a tie. 
All right, we're just going to just, just call it a draw here. No, we, we don't want, that's not, not satisfying for us. It just doesn't give us that thrill. It's not what we want. Uh, and I wonder if that bleeds into our life when we deal with people. We, we want justice to be carried out. But mercy, mercy is the way of Jesus. There's a balance to this, but just let me build a case for this because there's things that Jesus said, like in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is given this, the Sermon on the Mount. Here's a number of things he said. In verse 38, he said, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's kind of like the, the even Stephen kind of way to approach life. You get what you deserve in punishment fits the crime. But Jesus says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. One more verse later, in verse 40, he says, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. In verse 41, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Verse 44, it says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Mercy, it's not always our natural reaction. Especially for our enemies, sure, that... But we, I, we struggle to show mercy to everyone, giving people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, mercy is not just not punishing. Sometimes we need to be merciful, like giving people the benefit of the doubt as we approach them, even people we're not uh, comfortable with, giving people that, uh, assuming the best. Even with our loved ones who we know the best, we might find it difficult to be merciful. But as Christians, if we are going to engage in the mission of Jesus, and we're going to engage in the mission of the church, if we're going to put our focus where Jesus put his focus, then watch how he lives. See, mercy has got to be a trait that we strive for and that we treasure. It is the way of Jesus. So, let's read this parable that Jesus gives and the story that surrounds it and see what Jesus has to show about this way of mercy. Why don't you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. And I'll pray that, I pray that you uh, guide me as I talk through this scripture, that you will help us to use your word responsibly, not only in how we understand it, but how we apply it. And I pray that we, through the Holy Spirit, can come to live out your word and follow your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's how the story goes. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? All right, so that's how this all sets up, and and he's going to go into the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the story takes some unexpected turns, and as you study it, you start to see those twists. And so, first, it's important to understand a few things. I think it's safe to say, as you see that this expert in the law came to test Jesus, that the person coming to question Jesus, he's not coming with, with, uh, with good motives. He's got questionable motives. Like, many times this happened, where the experts in the law 
would ask Jesus questions and they would be traps that they were trying to set. And they're not there looking genuinely to seek out someone who can teach them something. They're trying to find a way to mess up his rhythm. And so here's the trap that this expert in the law sets for Jesus. He asks them a potentially dangerous question in terms of how his audience will respond to his answer. He says, uh, you know, how, well, how do I inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved is a way we might ask that question today. Now, if Jesus gives a certain answer, the hope is that maybe that'll put a divide between his audience. You answer one way, half the group kind of disagrees or is upset with how you say it. He's trying to make some of his audience mad and lose some of his momentum, discredit him or make him look foolish, maybe even stump him, which is, is not a good look for a rabbi. But Jesus takes this in stride. He turns the question back to the expert, which is a good teaching strategy. Instead of answering it straight off, he says, all right, well, how do you read it? To his credit, the expert in the law, he gives a good answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of packages that together as a single answer. Love God and love your neighbor. And he's like, you've answered correctly. Now, go and do likewise. Now, as you read that, you might not think that's a very, you know, everything seems fine there. But it sounds like, by verse 29, it sounds like this was a little bit scathing towards the, the expert in the law. Because the expert said, well, he had to justify himself. Maybe Jesus was saying, you answered correctly. Now, why don't you go do it? Go and do likewise. In other words, you're not doing what you, you know the answer, but you're not doing it. So in verse 29, it says... To justify himself, in order to save face, the expert, he tries to loophole this answer. And he, well, Jesus, really? I mean, who, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, really? Now, before we go bashing this expert in the law, I try to remind people of this. When we read how Jesus talks to the Pharisees, Pharisees or the experts in the law or, or some of those people, like, I... I think we're supposed to realize that we need to listen because we can be compared to those people who are getting it wrong. So before we bash too much, realize that this might be us, this expert in the law. And so let's do a little bit of self-examination while we see how this plays out. Isn't this our method sometimes when we read Scripture and understand Jesus to try to loophole what he's told us? Where we, we hear what Jesus says and we're like, well, technically I'm kind of doing this. Like, love your neighbor. Well, technically I love my neighbor, even though I live next to my parents, right? You know, like, I love my neighbor. And, or, or it's like, well, I love, I love some of my neighbors. So basic, technically, you know, I'm doing what Jesus says. I'm good to go. And we try to loophole the thing instead of trying to listen to what it is I need to be examining in myself. When we come to follow Jesus, we want to walk the way of Jesus. We don't follow Jesus and then start looking for technicalities to see how we pass uh, the test, right? If we follow, if we want to follow the way of Jesus, it's not a game of loopholes. A disciple wants to be like Jesus. And so we look to not just get by, but to obey, to follow, to listen So what is Jesus trying to teach me? If I'm this expert in the law, what is he trying to teach me? Now he goes to the parable. So remember the question is like, well, who is my neighbor? That's the question. In reply, Jesus said, 
Well, I'll stop right there. That little phrase right there, I was doing some reading, and, and that phrase, in reply, Jesus said, it, 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 the uh, commentary basically says that that's not even really a good English translation. The idea is that he's accepting this challenge. The man makes a challenge to him. It's like a, in a debate. Um, somebody gives you a little bit of a challenge, and you're like, all right, a challenge accepted. That's what that means. In, in reply, Jesus accepts the challenge, and here's his, his approach. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he was traveling, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Okay. So this parable begins, uh, not only is he trying to answer the question, who is your neighbor? But he's also addressing that ultimate question that started with, how can I inherit eternal life? And so it's all, you know, in this, this parable. The parable begins where we find a man traveling down a dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's a way that's called the, the way of blood this, this path where there's cliffs and there's uh, craters and curves. Not only that, but it's notoriously uh, a place where robbers hide out and ambush. And so it's a dangerous place to travel. Uh, where presumably this Jewish man was, has been beaten and left for dead. First two people that come walking down the road, they're both clergy of that time. And they're described as a priest and a Levite, religious men that are walking by. Now, why a priest and a Levite? Well, maybe he chose these two religious people to compare it to this expert in the law. Um, and uh, so these religious guys are walking by, and you have to understand that they are obligated by their religion to stay clean. Right? You might have thought I was going to say they're obligated to stop and help this man. No, they're obligated to keep themselves pure, to keep themselves clean. Now, if they stop, if this guy's dead, there's rules about touching dead bodies for, for a priest, a holy man, for even getting you know, tainted by messy, bloody situations. Like, and if this guy is, is in that situation, it's going to compromise their pu- uh, pu- uh Purity, which kind of sounds like it's a ridiculous thing. The guy's, you know, half dead or they need it. But, but let's hold our judgments for a second. I think that's exactly Jesus' intention in telling this parable. These guys walked by. They should have stopped, but they didn't because they had other things that were more important to justify their continuing down the road and not stopping. The next person to stop by or to, to walk by is a Samaritan man. And maybe some of you know this. Maybe some of you don't. In the Jewish world of that time, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. 
The idea that we would call this parable the good Samaritan is like an oxymoron that didn't exist. Good Samaritan. Those two words don't stand side by side, right? So Samaritans were hated by their rival Jewish uh, uh, people, especially the the elite religious type because they were unclean and they they were, you know, just... Not people that you you uh, you looked up to or wanted to be around in, in their minds. And here is where we start to see the parable take an unexpected turn. Jesus is is like a good sleight of hand uh, teacher. When he starts to teach, you start looking at something, and all of a sudden this this new thing comes in. Um, all this time we've been assuming and keeping our eyes on this this man who's bloody, half dead on the side of road. Like he's the main character in the story, right? Our eyes are focused on him, and that's, that's going to be the main part of the lesson, this man who's hurt. But all of a sudden, our eyes are focused on this unexpected character. A Samaritan comes by, and, and the expert in the law is like, well, hey, wait a second. Where is this going? Our rivals, the, our enemies, these, these dirty people, like this Samaritan, what's he going to do in this story? And um, it was the Samaritan, not the Levite. Not the priest that stops and helps this, this hurting man who's, and bandages him, gives him a place to stay, some food and money, and puts him on his own donkey. And the Samaritan becomes the hero of this story. So we get to the, the, uh, the punchline of this story. Verse 36 is where we began today. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor... To the man who fell into the hands of the robber, Jesus said. And the expert replied, The one who showed mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. I want you to go, and I want you to be like that Samaritan. So here's the position this expert is in. And it doesn't have so much to do with the man who's beaten in uh, at least one layer of this is not so obvious to us he is asked who in the story behaved like a person that's living out that second greatest command to love your neighbor who is it you want to know how to be saved you want to know how to have eternal life you gave the right answer love the lord your god love your neighbor as a self well in this story who behaves like a person who's committed to God's law. And there's no weaseling out of this one. Was it his people that were behaving like someone who loves their neighbor while uh, were they were, were they the ones living out this life that is supposed to be inheriting eternal life, the priest and the levite? No, it wasn't his people. It was the one who had mercy. Notice that the the expert in the law, he didn't even he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan He said it was the one who showed mercy. Again, the the easy or the even the main lesson was you gotta you gotta love this man who's hurting. You gotta go help and show him uh, some support and care. But Jesus adds this layer for this expert in the law. Are you willing to admit that that Samaritan man, who I know you hate? Are you willing to admit that he's the hero of this story? Can he, this expert, love the Samaritan man? Does he love his neighbor? 
Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew that he's not focused on all people. He's focused on his people. Of course I love my neighbor. I love my neighbor, yeah. As long as, as long as the definition of neighbor is the people that I'm comfortable with, as long as the definition of, of neighbor is the people that I know and the people that I love, but now his heart is revealed because Samaritans were not his people. They didn't think like him. They didn't act like him. He wouldn't have considered a Samaritan to be the one called uh, neighbor. The, and he's the one behaving like a follower of God. So it puts everything on its, on its head. Our goal as we read this is to, to decide what is Jesus teaching us? What is the take home And then, as we understand how Jesus is teaching this, how am I going to change my life so I walk the way of Jesus? How am I going to apply this so that I walk the way of mercy? So let's say today that you were that expert in the law. To learn from this, I think that's where we need to put ourselves. We put ourselves in his shoes. We're the ones coming to Jesus. We're the ones asking him, how do I inherit eternal life? We all wonder that. How do, I, how do I get saved? How do I inherit eternal life? And let's just say we copy off this paper and, and Jesus turns the question on us. Well, you tell me. What, how do you read it? And we give a great answer. We say, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as our, ourself. Right? And, and so now we're this guy and... Uh, we want to know, all right, well, who is my neighbor? We're trying to loophole this thing. We're trying to figure this thing out. And he's giving us this, this parable. We go home later and we're sitting there like, man, what is, it? what is it Jesus was trying to teach me? How am I supposed to change based on what I've heard from that story? Well, I think one thing that we would conclude is that showing mercy means Self-sacrifice. Showing mercy means self-sacrifice. Parables are a unique form of teaching. Because we can listen to a parable of Jesus, and it's not exactly like real life. You know, the parables are these hypothetical scenarios where they're told in a vacuum, where they're supposed to teach you a lesson. And, and in real life, it's kind of hard to, to make as quick judgments. Like if this was a real story and we were walking down the road, like, you know, it'd be a little bit more complicated that. And maybe we should sympathize a little bit with the priest and the Levite. Who knows what was going on that day? Who knows? We could be sympathetic that maybe something was going on and yada, yada, yada. But in a parable, we don't have to do that. We can go straight to judgment. Because this is supposed to teach us something, and so we know that they did the wrong thing. Maybe they're late for an appointment, but that doesn't matter here. In a parable, I think we're supposed to, to uh, simply get to the heart of the issue. These men of God were wrong. They saw the man in need of help, and they didn't show him mercy. They didn't stop and help. Isn't that what Jesus wants us to see? It seems to me that the expert in the law, the one to whom Jesus is speaking, maybe he is like them. Like if he was walking down the road, he would have some excuse not to help, not to care, and to just keep going. And it begs the question, why? Why is it when we see someone in a bad way that we don't stop and help, that we don't care 
There's, why do these excuses and our circumstances kind of rise above the need to be merciful to their situation and reach out to them? It seems kind of elementary, but why wouldn't he stop? Why wouldn't we stop? Well, think about these men and, and maybe us too. Like the burning question for them, these, these men of God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? First and foremost, they were like, I've got to love God. Now, the way they thought about it, I've got to love God to some people and especially religious type and maybe church people today. Honoring God is a very self-serving life. For these priests and the Levites, it was all about keeping themselves right. Keeping themselves pure. i got to stay in my lane. And what that does sometimes is it puts blinders on so we can't see other people. It's all about me and keeping my walk right and keeping my steps straight. Uh, and if I veer off of that to try and help somebody, who's no, I mean, what good would it do if I go to help this man and it's a trap? And I end up killed, I'm good to no one. So why don't I just stay in my lane, keep my blinders on, and move forward? What happens if I get unclean, and then I've got to go through all these rituals to get clean again, and my time is valuable, and I could be doing all these other things? Like, you know, we do the same thing when we make excuses not to care, not to take the time to go and be merciful to someone, um, because we're trying to keep ourselves from being tainted by that, and therefore we forfeit Uh, our own righteousness because we've done this. The risk is too great. And so they kept walking with their blinders on. Protecting self is some ways in which we carry out our our Christianity, self-preservation. I think Jesus is frowning upon religion that favors self-preservation. You cannot put your focus where Jesus put his focus if you're wearing blinders to others in order to preserve yourself. We walk by hurting and spiritually dying people every day. So what keeps us from stopping? Is it self? Is it blinders or excuses? What if I involve myself in this complicated life of other people, the mess that they're in? And, and what if I come out with scars because of that? So keep walking. What are other people going to think? Like, you know, my reputation is at stake. Will I be called foolish or, or corrupted? Or what if I'm, I mean, it's scary. What about the, the dangers? Or I get over my head. What if I fail? What if it's hard? Can't I just go through life and just keep walking and let other people deal with their mess? You go back to the original question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The correct answers: love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. I think something we are guilty of is hoping that we can just obey the first half of that and skip love my neighbor. We can just skip over that and you know what? Hopefully God will just excuse that. Overlook overlook the fact that I often choose to walk past opportunities to show mercy to people. And then he won't say anything when time comes. But according to how I read this parable, that is the wrong conclusion. I think Jesus is not so subtly telling us that this priest and this Levite and maybe this expert in the law. And anyone who chooses self-preservation over serving others. That is not walking the life 
that should expect eternal life. This parable has layers to it. Of course, that primary teaching, teaching of how to love your neighbor and mercy trumps excuses. Mercy over self-preservation. You can't love God without loving people. They're, they're, they're married, those two things. Loving God and loving people is the same thing. You can't love me if you don't love my kids. Those things are united. Right? So the expert in the law, you would assume, at least at the beginning, that the priest and the Levite and this expert in God's law, that you, those are the guys, you would think, that have the best chance of eternal life in heaven. I mean, they're the holy men of God, for goodness sakes. But they were missing the mark when it came to loving their neighbor. And, and so was this expert. We don't want to be that. If we don't show mercy, I think we're in the wrong faith. Who in this story was hitting the mark and loving their neighbor? It was the one showing mercy, a good Samaritan. He was displaying the type of mercy expected by those who follow the way of Jesus. He knew what game he was playing. And he played it. What if, what if today in the playoff games, like if I'm the quarterback of one of the teams today and I go out there and I'm, I'm ready for the game and I've got my baseball bat and my baseball glove and I'm like, all right, let's go guys. We're going to score some runs. All right. They're like, Jason, you're playing the wrong game. <laughs> right. Sometimes we get into our faith and we behave in such a way, like we think we're playing. This, the priest and the Levite, they thought they were playing on God's team. And they looked the part until they got on the field and they had their opportunity. And they were not walking the way of mercy, which showed that they weren't playing the right game. They weren't focused on what God was focused on. What does it mean if Christians aren't out there in the world showing mercy It's a disgrace if that's the case. And this is it right here. No one should love their neighbor more than Christians. No one should love their neighbor more than Christians. And it's not a competition. I mean, showing mercy should be praised and applauded no matter where it comes from. But shame on us if the world does a better job showing mercy than the followers of Christ. And if we continue to walk past people and excuse our absence from their life and leave them for the next man walking by, Christians will be as self-serving and hypocritical as the men in this parable. If mercy is not on display in our life on a regular basis, we're in the wrong faith. And that's not the example Jesus gave us to follow. I study these verses of the Good Samaritan and I see Jesus teaching this expert in the Jewish law and, and I look at us trying to, we're, we're all trying to do something similar. We're all trying to, to figure this out and, and be in heaven with God forever. And a phrase crosses my mind. What I think maybe Jesus wants him to hear. Maybe he wants us to hear this. And when it comes to our walk with God, we've got to get over yourself and help somebody. Be merciful. Isn't that the story of Jesus to us? Mercy is 
not getting something we deserve. His relationship to us is just that. Grace is given to, we're given the grace, uh, uh, you know, to, to have forgiveness, but it's also mercy. We're not punished because Jesus forgives. And that's exactly the way we need to treat people. With forgiveness. Assuming the best. Starting with mercy. As you go on, you've got to implement wisdom into your life. And things like that. But start with mercy. That's how Jesus starts with us. Because the way of Jesus is the way of mercy. Let's pray.